Hello, everybody. Thank you for uh, listening and joining us for this new edition of the podcast, our third episode from the state of New York, uh, the first couple of episodes for, from Richmond, Virginia. But of course, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we're back uh, in New York. Uh, and it's a very exciting time for the show. When Joe came on, we talked about Blade Runner. That was our highest rated episode. Then we had Drew and Moses come on, and they basically just sco- schooled me for our Space Odyssey uh, exclusive review. They broke that, so we're going back-to-back, most listened-to episodes. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Again, if you listen to this episode and you want to check out any other material uh, that we have, you could always just go to any whatever you're listening to on Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever it may be. And you can just go back and listen to any podcast within our archive. Uh, but this week we have uh, Matt, Matty G. How you doing, dude? Howl at the Podcast Nation. Uh, doing pretty good. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, so Matt's uh, I mean, Matt is the go-to guy. Matt, you want to you want to plug your uh, uh, your uh, your review uh, blog or whatever you want to call it? Oh, uh, I do some film reviews for the Villanovan, uh, Villanova College newspaper. Uh, hopefully, I can represent well. I got some big shoes to fill coming off the last two episodes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, so Matt's uh, Matt's awesome. We also have a. Me and him are also uh, business partners, I guess. So, shout out to twenty twenty five when we start making a uh, big bank. Gonna make big bucks. Yeah. So uh, I always like to ask everyone who comes on the show, Matt. You know, what's really your? Are you a big movie person? Are you not a big movie person? Or you know, you know, what's your favorite movie? All that kind of jazz. What do you want to talk about, really? Definitely big movie person. I like. I mean, I like your stereotypical blockbusters, but I also can enjoy a uh, Oscars classic. I'll be going to watch Marvel movies. I watch the Oscar-nominated films, all of it. Unless you don't like Parasite, though, unfortunately. Uh, you know, not not the biggest fan of Parasite. It had me at first got, hit the wall a little bit at the end. Uh, yeah, not a big fan of Parasite. Speaking of Marvel, like they have the Disney Plus commercials. Uh, you know what's why do you want to watch Disney Plus? And people go like, I want to watch, you know, whatever movie they want to watch. They'll say like, I want to watch Avengers, or I want to watch, you know, you know, the original trilogy, or I want to watch, you know, yeah. the old movies. And one girl literally went, I mean, one guy, excuse me, goes, oh, I'm really excited to see Captain Marvel, and I'm just like, no chance. You got paid to say that. Now I know. Well, one of the worst parts of Endgame. Yeah. You got paid to say that. My God, no one's going to. It's like saying, like, come on, please. Have him say Wally or something, you know? Like, don't say that. Wally? It's a good movie. I don't I'm just like, right. I think it's like a random movie that I could have said, you know what I mean? Like, Up or something. Hey, they got to cover all their bases. Got to yeah. sell, sell the Marvel movies. Well, all right. Well, speaking of Marvel, the movies uh, in general, obviously, I talked about this two weeks ago with Joe. We're not. The box office is on hold since there's no movies coming out. Basically, cinemas have closed worldwide. So we're going to try to keep going. We're going to lean heavily on the movie side. The rumors, money, and movies. If you're new to the show, we'll talk about money, box office, movies, review, and new uh, rumors, which is the news of film. We're going to talk a little bit about rumors. Um, movies keep moving. Uh, Wonder Woman moved from June to August. By the way, I mean... Obviously, I, I know who you, but tell the are you excited for Wonder Woman when that comes out eventually, or 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited for Wonder Woman. I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Not like crazy excited, but you know, I'll see it. So basically, every movie now from not every movie because some movies are still staying, but a lot of movies have moved from June, uh, you know, June and May and April and stuff to later. Wait, is that is that confirmed or is that a yes? Movie? No, that's confirmed. That is confirmed. Excuse me. Okay. That, that move, uh, it it has a new release date in August. Um, that was one of the latest, one of the big because like Black Widow moved out. I mean, all those movies moved out. That was like the latest big one to move out. There's still a couple movies. Um, like Stain, I guess, just because they don't want to move yet. Uh, but a lot of, I mean, obviously we talked about how uh, Bob, James Bond moved out and Mulan moved out and a bunch of other movies. But at the moment, the only movies that are really staying, at least for now, are May 22nd. There's no movies that are staying till May 22nd. And at the moment, SpongeBob is is locked in for May 22nd. And then for May 29th is uh, Artemis Fowl. That's it, though, as of right wow. now. So there's some great movies right there. Some yeah, it's going to be more, I mean, we'll see. I mean, even movies in, you know, June, I guess, and July are getting cold feet. But, uh, yeah, and not all the I should say this, I should prefer this, that a lot of the movies that are moving out of these, uh, you know, outlets, May, April, they haven't got release dates yet. A lot of them haven't. Only some of them have announced release dates. So we'll see. But... I, I mean, one of the issues, man, I don't know, uh, is the fact that, and to the audience, is the fact that now with this release date's moving, it's not only just these movies, but also movies in 2021 and whatnot because of production delays. Uh, oh, got it. So they're all getting pushed back. So essentially everything is getting pushed back. Well, not they haven't got pushed back yet, but I mean, if you have a movie coming out in 2021 and you can't do production, you can't finish it. So now the worry is, what if you can't? You know, what's going to happen if, let's say, there is no more coronavirus? I mean, there's, I mean, I said that kind of like in a question, but there's obviously, at a certain point, it's going to not be. But, like, then, these movies that are supposed to release in, say, May of 2021 or something, they're not going to be ready by then, because, you know, you have to have a movie yeah. done. Yeah. But, I'm just looking at November right now. You got The Eternals, Godzilla vs. Kong, and well, No I Time to Marvel. Die has postponed like there's no production going on for marvel they're closed you see so did kevin feige pay you to talk about marvel on the show or <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding what? no because that's the second time you brought up marvel i'm just saying oh well i mean i mean you know i'm, I'm a big marvel fan I, i'm supporting them here you know but you're not crazy you're not a, a well, smart I mean, look i'm a big marvel fan with the exception of endgame with the exception of the first two hours of Endgame. Oh. Give us your... You have you have, you have have like 60 seconds. Explain to the audience why you don't like Endgame. Oh, I... You know, they build it up like a really serious, intense, dramatic movie. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they hit you with all these jokes left and right. Just They, they didn't advertise what the movie actually was. I wasn't prepared when I went in. Just disappointing. Could have been way better. You sounded like me right there. I, I thank you for that. Oh well, I mean, if you if you get me going about any other Marvel movie, I'll I'll sound like the opposite of you. So. Thor: Dark World. Well, I would say that. How about Far From Home? Oh, <laughs> you're a radical when it comes to that one. A radical oh, masterpiece. That movie was Let's put that out there. Masterpiece. Look at you should you should have seen that. That movie's gone. I was laughing the entire movie. Like it was so bad. 
Tom Holland, legendary, Mysterio, great villain. But that's not – we're not here to talk about that. Sorry. I'll, I'll be quiet. That movie is actually so trash. Like, it's just not very good. I mean, the fact that you just, said, you just said Mysterio is a good villain. I just – that – Right. You, I mean, won't, you won't be coming back on the right show now. The page of the comic book, like it's pretty solid. Yeah. Well, shout out to Leo because we actually have a Mysterio for our little adventure. Shout out to Leo there if he's listening. Um. So unfortunately, Matt obviously he has he loves Marvel, of course, but we're not talking about Marvel today. Well, you have to. I don't know. Any everything in moderation, you know. Um, Fair enough. Uh, but so today we're going to talk about two movies in our classic movie, uh, uh, series. So the, we start out with Saturday Night Fever, and then we went to Chinatown, then we got a little bit of Blade Runner, and then we had Space Odyssey, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Now we're talking, we're changing gears from the science fiction genre, and we're going to Easy Rider, a 1969 hippie counter-revolution uh, sort of movie. It stars Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, and Jack Nicholas. Nick Jack Nicholson. Nick, I always mispronounce his name. I don't know why. Um, Nicholson. I don't know why I say that. But um, it's Nicholson. <coughs> it's Nicholson. And uh, this was uh, Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda co-wrote with uh, Terry Southern. And it was produced by Peter Fonda and directed by Dennis Hopper. So it was really sort of a, a limited scope on who was really into this movie. But it did really well at the box office. It had a budget of $400,000 and made $60 million. It had a really good soundtrack from a lot of guys. Uh, and uh, what you wanna, do you want to uh, talk about the basic plot? Just sort of a basic rundown of the plot before we get into okay. sort of the specifics? Yeah, sure. Uh, spoiler right, alert. Right. Spoiler alert, by the way. Yeah, spoiler alert here. All right. Uh, I mean, it is. it did come out in 1969, so you had time. But, um, uh, all right, so we, we watched Wyatt and Billy, as James said, the two hippies uh, going on a motorcycle journey to get to Mardi Gras. Uh, they made a ton of money off of the drug deal, and it's basically about uh, their kind of counter-culturist adventure um, as freedom riders, basically. And, yeah, I, I guess that's pretty – there's a lot of driving in the movie. That's, uh, that's pretty much how it would wrap up uh, what happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would say that there's a. It's mostly driving, or a lot of it trying. Driving. A lot of motorcycle massages. Um, I mean, just to, I'll get my general thoughts out of the way, and then we'll get more into sort of some of the specifics. And then, I mean, uh, at least to me, the big takeaway from this is Jack Nicholson. He's in the movie for what, like thirty, forty minutes, and to me, he's the best part about this movie. I'd agree, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I mean, at least to me. I don't know about uh, you, Matt, but literally I was laughing so much because the acting, like, I was, like, so, like, I don't know how to explain it, but I, it was just, like, his acting was so good. Like, I couldn't focus. That's how good it was. <laughs> I mean, any movie he's in, he steals, he steals the show, pretty much any movie he's in. I mean, believe me, uh, Chinatown, we talked about him very much so, obviously, but even more so in this movie, he's just, he's just crazy. I mean, he's just, you know... Like talking about rep, the uh, reptilians, you know, the alien, the alien's gonna come. And oh, that. great, dude! That was like my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, 
I think he won the Oscar for it. Right? He did. He won. Um, I should have said that. Yeah, he won a supporting. Um, uh, uh, oh, he was nominated. Excuse me. I apologize. Uh, he was nominated for supporting act, best uh, actor in a supporting. Role. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and this movie was also nominated for best original screenplay, uh, as well. Um, but uh, yeah. So I mean, that was. I mean, obviously, you agree with me on the Jack uh, Nichol- Nicholson part. Uh, I mean, if you had to boil this down into one or a couple main themes uh, to set the stage for the audience, what, what would you describe those as, Matt? Uh, I mean, it's hard to pick a specific driving montage, but I'm just going to say generic driving montage of, uh, on motorcycles. And uh, every montage is kind of broken up by like uh, a pit stop kind of at night with a rest and chat. I'm going to say the alien scene, that's the highlight, one of those for me. The campfire mm-hmm. scene, that's the highlight there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I don't know if you, I'm going into the ending yet. Am I allowed? Or? You're a free bird. Like, wide and belly, you're free. And then, you got to have the ending where the two main characters die. Jack, Jack Nicholson, he, he dies earlier in the movie, and then you got the two protagonists. They're killed off right at the end of the movie, and pretty intense ending scene and rather abrupt as well yeah it's a short movie it's only 95 minutes long of length yeah um yeah and speaking of those specific stops so like at first they stop at like a farm in arizona and the big takeaway from that is like the man's like you know i don't really have much but peter fonda's character Wyatt is like you have a lot man like this is cool like this is a cool place to be and Wyatt and billy dennis hopper and peter fonda uh, Peter Fonda is Wyatt and Billy is Dennis Hopper are con- contradict or like kind of contradictory in the sense of, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, like Billy's more of just kind of like a, he's just kind of just like, I mean, I don't, they're both stoned, but um, kind of not looking at the big picture not really being serious, mature while uh, Wyatt's more observant and more like yeah, into the familiar places. Definitely. So when they go to Arizona, and when they go at this farmstead, they go and they see, um, uh, you know, they see this guy and he's like, you know, I got a cool place here. And then they go to a commune and he's like, you know, this is crazy. This is a great place. And, why, you know, Billy's like, oh, we got to go. We got to go, man. Um, yeah. And that's really interesting. And another thing I found interesting is when I looked them up. And so when they see Jack Nicholas at the, uh, at the, uh, at the, uh, the jail cell that they yeah. find him in. The town that they're located in is called like Echnoroma Ek- Ek- Marrow. And that's just not a real town. Like I look I, I didn't find it. So I don't know if they used fake towns or not. Well do you know do you know where it was filmed? Um well I mean I just looked at the town. I don't know. I mean I'm assuming it was filmed in I don't know. I mean it was filmed in let me see here. Yeah during the test location uh Put me on the spot. Oh, okay, yeah. So the short clip is the beginning of Arizona is one of the places. Yep. Okay. Flagstaff. Uh. And um, Morganza, uh, Louisiana. Yeah. And Croats Springs, Louisiana, as well. So a bunch of different places. So it's like it's accurate to where they were, I guess. But I couldn't find the place on the map. An additional, another place I couldn't. Yeah, Eromero. E-R-O-M-E-R-O. So I guess, I mean, then they made up the locations to the film. I guess, yeah, because it's like it's it's put on like a like on like a fire station. I couldn't find it. 
Um, and then another place they said was like, they said like, um, uh, I couldn't find was when they went to the, uh, when they were at the commune and they brought up like, you know, the city nearby. I couldn't find that either. So maybe I'm, I don't know. I just couldn't find the things that they said. So I don't know why they did that. I don't know. Maybe that's just Aramero's like the name of like the police chief or something. So I'm way out of line here. But am I, am I onto something with them using fake, uh, names of towns or? Maybe they were just too lazy to do their research like you. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you're not on the show anymore. No. Um, I, I just complimented you. If anything, that should get me back on the show. I know. I know. For sure. For sure. Um, for sure. Okay. You know, I, I thought I thought maybe I was onto something because maybe they're trying to say, like, you know, the, like, what is a place or something? Like, you know, like, what really is a place? I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm smoking crack like Billy, but I thought I was onto something, man. I apologize. The, the tagline is like a man went looking for America and he couldn't find it anywhere. So he's made up places ties into that. Maybe maybe he got something. One of the problems I had, Matt, and I want to get your thoughts on, was maybe I didn't have a problem with, but you said the ending was abrupt, right? And that was the. Uh, I don't know if that it was a little abrupt, but that was the, I, that was probably the highlight of the movie for me. Still, oh okay. So that was the second time. Uh, obviously, they got attacked by people, right? Yeah. Why do you think? I mean, this might be an obvious question. Maybe it's not. Why do you think that the number one? Do you think? Obviously, just answer the basic. More, I think it's a basic question. Maybe it's not. So I don't want to seem condescending here, but obviously, why did the people have a problem with the with the men? Number one and number two. Do you think that paid off? That it made sense? That it worked well in the actual environment of the film, if that makes you know, did it did it pay off properly, or do you think it added yeah, value? Yeah, got yeah. Well, I mean, why they're attacking the movies? Because obviously, the main characters are hippies. This takes place in an era, era where you know that's kind of frowned upon. Uh, they're counterculturists, and uh, the people that attack them are like, how, how how would you describe the people that are like attacking them here? I, I don't know the proper word. Oh, yeah, we we do have some listeners from down south, I believe. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what they'd be called. All right. Uh, 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 let's just say, let's say radical, radical traditionalists. Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, the first instance, they're kind of attacked abruptly at, at the campfire. And then um, at the, towards the end scene, you have uh, Wyatt and Billy on their motorcycles and they end up getting shot. Uh, that's the closing scene. I think the closing scene goes to show that like in the end, their dream of being free in America, I mean, it's not really uh, feasible. And earlier on, uh, what what's Jack Nicholson's character's name? George, is it? Yeah, it is. Wow, you're good. Yeah, George Hansen. Okay, uh, yeah, so uh, George, his death, he, he kind of served as a bridge between them and uh, what, what do you call them? Traditionalist, radical traditionalist? Yes, because he even uh, says, he even says, sorry to cut you off, but he even says while they're trying to give him weed or marijuana, whatever you want to call it, for the first time, he refers to himself as a square. And a square is a slang for a person who's conventional or old fashioned, right? Yeah. And he thinks that, like, you know, he's going to be hooked if he smokes weed and whatnot. Exactly, yeah. He serves kind of like as the bridge between the two groups. So 
his death, in my mind, is symbolic that like there won't be kind of uh, a unification between those two ideologies. That was my takeaway from it. But mm. I think uh, interesting to kind of build off that. Another interesting when they go into that cafe area and the men. Yeah. I believe those are the same in that attack them. Um, um, I think it's kind of hinted at. It's not confirmed. Oh, is it? Are they? I mean, that's what I thought. I, I didn't even realize that, but if it is, that's interesting. But then when they go into the thing, there's like these like girls who are like looking at them. And it's like a weird juxtaposition because the girls of the town right, are like, oh my God, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to get, I want to be with those guys. And meanwhile, these girls are like 14, like when they, they look like really young in yeah, hindsight. Yeah, they're definitely like high school kids or Maybe not even like freshmen. Yeah, high school and they're trying to get with some guy. They're trying to be with some people who are like twenty five. Yeah, um, which is some some derogatory terms people would use for people down that do that in Louisiana. But uh, it's interesting how that I don't I didn't really I maybe he was trying to say like the young versus the old or something, but I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition because obviously the people of the town and the men weren't even angry at the girls, right? They were angry more so at the guys, even after the fact, you know. Yeah, uh, I didn't really get anything out of it when I watched it, but now that you mentioned, I think it actually is like young versus old. Because I was reading that this movie was kind of made for like a younger audience at the time, because typically at that time they were the group that was like against typical like tradition and culture that was mm -hmm. common. Um, so I guess that's actually what is being shown. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, to go back to something that you said though uh, about not being able to be free. Uh, and about how George is kind of the built of uh, the bridge. George actually has a speech while he's hot when he's talking about the reptilian or the aliens. He actually says, you know, people don't want to be free or like, you know, you'll tell someone that you're free and they'll think you're crazy. You, uh, if you recall what I'm saying, you remember that uh, speech? Yeah, yeah. So I think that was interesting when he said that. The only thing that I thought was the only the only thing I think the movie does that's a little interesting with that is obviously I agree with 100 like maybe you can never be really free. Uh. But then, what did you think about the commune? Right, what was the purpose of the commune? The commune then that they went to go visit in Arizona. Yeah, uh, I mean the commune. I, I guess that serves an example of people not wanting to be free, like George says. Because I mean, technically, those people kind of are free, but at the same time, they say how they're kind of committed to this land now and they're waiting until they're able to harvest crops there. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of stuck, like. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Wow, yeah, you're true, yeah. Kind of free. They're, they're not, there's not really any mobility for them. That That's kind of their lives. Like, there's no hope of getting away from it, really. That's, I didn't even think about that. That's a really good point. Um, wow. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, building off sort of this idea of freedom and applying it sort of a more film-wise, because obviously when you're breaking down a film, you have sort of the themes of the film, but also the filmmaking itself and how everything, you know, everything is multifaceted and whatnot. Uh, what did you, because I honestly, we talked about last week with uh, Drew and Moses, how experimental move filmmaking with Space Odyssey. Now, mm -hmm. the end, the, in, when they're at the French Quarter, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson's character, George, uh, before they get to the French Quarter, uh, suggests to them, like, to go to a brothel. Yeah, and he says the best line, you know, th this is not, you know, some pork chops. This is fine U.S. prime. Uh, yeah, but yeah. they go to the they go to the the brothel, 
and they take the the girls, the prostitutes out, and they ha- they do LSD, which was given from from the commune. And I mean, is it safe to say? I mean, at least to me, it was experimental cinema the way it was portrayed. Uh, I'd agree with that, hundred percent. Um, but then I didn't really understand what it was trying to say, because it it was like eight minutes or ten minutes, uh, and it's already kind of a short runtime. It was eight or ten minutes of them kind of just like doing random stuff, and it had really didn't mean anything. Um, but then at the end, they just, like I didn't really know what that showed for the plot. I was kind of I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. I was kind of lost. Uh, yeah, I think that was kind of a confusing scene. I I guess if I had to figure something out of it, I guess maybe that's trying to blur the lines between the two beliefs, contrasting beliefs of the movie, the way it's jumping back and forth, like with the imagery and the dialogue going over it. Because I think it's cutting between like American flags and then you see like holy imagery and stuff. Am I, am I right? I mean, I don't yeah. fully know. I'm not going to pretend like this is definitely what, what they intended. That's That was the best explanation I could come up with for the, uh, that sequence. Yeah. I, it's more than I could have. That More than I could have came up with, put it that way. Um, uh, okay, but uh, another interesting thing I found about the movie was uh, and if you and if you want to see this movie and you've seen this movie, you know exactly what we're talking about. They're in a cemetery, and it really doesn't make too much sense. But uh, another one, another funny part about that, actually connecting that sort of experimental film, is the fact that uh, on the Wikipedia page. So I'm sorry to all my all the college professors out there because we're using Wikipedia for this. But uh, the film is actually credited. It was inspired by Space Odyssey. Really. So I don't know, maybe that was, but uh, uh, because it says here on the Wikipedia page that uh, the day was, so there was a delay of some sort. And so uh, the delay was partially due to the protract, uh, protracted editing process. Inspired by 2001 A Space Odyssey. Now, frankly, I did not know this going in. I had no idea. One of Hopper's proposed cuts was 20, 220 minutes long, including extensive use of the flash forward narrative device. Where scenes from later in the movie are inserted into the current scene. Only one flash forward survives in the final edit. One wide in, in the New Orleans broth, brothel has a premonition of the final scene. Uh, I just find that really interesting. Uh, and I mean, you're more, you're, I guess you're a little bit more of a film guy than me, I'd say. Uh, well, uh, Matt really is a, is a big time uh, film guy. Uh, what is the, what, do you know, or maybe you don't know, maybe I'm sending you up to, in a home run or strike out here, but flash forward. What did you think about the flash forwarding? What does that usually do? I, cause I'm not really sure. I don't really, I don't really see the point of it. Uh, unless, you know, it's cause the person has like a, you know, it was like a psychic or something, but I mean, I, I, in this film, I'd say it serves kind of just as, as a use of foreshadowing, um, uh, and kind of just to create a warning of, of how things are going to end. Honestly, when I was watching, I didn't even pick up on that because the images were switching so quickly. See, I actually movie. did though. I'm not. I'm, I like. I did notice that though. I'm just saying. Okay. Um, um, sorry. Though, I mean, I, I mean, did that make the end feel more complete for you? I didn't notice it. So when the end happened for me, it was. I I don't know if I'd say unexpected because I kind of felt one of them was going to die, but. I just noticed it after the fact. Uh, I just noticed, I remembered it after. I'm like, wait, I'm pretty sure they showed this like this this. Uh, 
because they have like a shot, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure they showed the shot early in the movie. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting that like you wouldn't think that this movie would draw inspiration from 2001. It's kind of an interesting combo, but I mean, that sort of point about experimental cinema, Matt. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but um, I'm, I'm I'm sure you did because it was pretty unnoticed. It was like you had to see it if you watched the movie. It was like whenever they change scenes, sometimes there'd be like jump cuts between the next scene and the previous scene. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, some of the cuts were really jarring, and I, I didn't like them at all. Really, at the points like it would linger on the last few frames of the previous scene, and then cut to the first mm -hmm. few frames of the next scene, and then it would replay the last few frames of the previous scene, and then jump again and back and forth like a few times. And that was very weird. I, I don't think I know a single other movie that I've seen that done, and it. it was really strange. Well, d while I was watching it, I had no idea. But now in hindsight, I think maybe because now we know that the Space Odyssey, a Space Odyssey kind of influenced this movie, maybe it was just like a homage to sort of experimental cinema. I guess. Yeah. I guess that's one way of uh, explaining it. Ah. Even still, I was not a fan. I'm just, I'm gonna say that. I mean, it wasn't that bad because it wasn't it was short. You know what I mean? It wasn't a lot of time. Yeah, it was short. It was just weird. I mean, it was, and obviously, it was less time. All of that combined was only a fraction of the LSD scene. But I just think yeah. it's interesting, at least to me, in a in a very grounded movie, right? A movie that's very like you know world based. Like literally, there's like really not a lot. It's kind of mundane in that sense compared to a regular movie. Right. If you think mm -hmm. about it, there's not a ton of conflict, right? There's not a ton of, you know, there's no action, right? Or very little action, I should say. Yeah. So, uh, to have that sort of experimental cinema, I mean, it does make it a little bit of uh, juxtaposition, right? A paradox almost. But I mean, outside of that, I kind of agree with you more. So I'm not really sure what exactly is going on there. Uh, well, I mean, look, too bad, you know, some of the, I mean. I guess we'll never know, right? I don't know. Yeah. But uh, another interesting thing, sort of, to include uh, or to build upon that is that, uh, and this is also based on the Wikipedia page, so maybe this explains sort of the stuff that we're a little bit confused about, Matt, is that Easy Rider style, the jump cuts, time shifts, flash forwards, flashback, jerky handheld cameras, fractured narrative, and improvised acting can be seen as a cinematic, cinematic translation of the psychedelic experiments. Peter Biskine, author of Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, wrote, LST did create a frame of mind that fractured experience and that LST created had an effect on films like, and that, and that, excuse me, and that, let me restart, I apologize. LST did create a frame of mind that fractured experience and that LST experience had an effect on films like Easy Rider. I don't know, I, I don't really see that at all. That doesn't really help me out, I, because I, I don't understand the narrative going back and forth still. But yeah, I, I feel like that's we're we're getting borderline to over analysis. I feel like I mean I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I just feel like there's a there's a line between what's intended by the film and what's just experimental. Didn't fully work out, so they're trying to explain it away. That's just my opinion. But okay, we got to talk about uh, two more things, though, man. So in yeah, the scene before. They go to New Orleans, they have the LSD experience, all that. They go to the brothel, all that. Then before the end, Wyatt says to Billy, 
they're talking, yada, 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 about this, about that, the money and their experience. And why it says, we blew it, Billy. What says you about that, Matt? What do you take from that? Did that hit you? Did it resonate with you? What were your thoughts about that quote? Because I thought it was pretty important. Yeah, I, I knew. I know that is kind of the famous line from the movie. Can you remind me of its exact time? Is that the final uh, uh, campfire scene? scene? Correct. Correct. That's the final. Honestly, I, you take a stab at this one. I, I don't. I don't. I don't have anything here. I mean, I thought when he said it, I thought it was supposed to say like kind of like, I thought it actually did a little bit with sort of the LSD part, but also kind of just the fact that like Peter uh, found his character Wyatt using that stuff in the previous part when they went to the ranchers in Arizona, when they went to the commune, and he's kind of really interested in sort of like the family and the relationships. And now him and Wyatt, you know, Jack Nichols, George Hanson, Jack Nicholson's character has died. They haven't really accomplished anything. And he's like, we blew it. We didn't really use our, we didn't really, you know, really, really accomplish anything of marriage. Right, yeah. Done grasping at straws and Matt's silent disregard for what I'm saying. So, uh, the ending, we talked about it a little bit. So you did say you liked it. Why was it your favorite part of the movie? You said it was your favorite part of the movie, correct? Yeah. So why was that? Or, you know, Talk a little bit about why you liked it. Uh, I mean, like I said, it felt very abrupt, and then I, I also I don't know if it feels very uh, realistic or practical within the setting of this movie, but I think the ending scene is kind of intended to be more symbolic than realistic. So that's to me kind of when the whole message of the film comes through, and that was I felt the big takeaway of everything. Like that was what everything was really building towards. So in that sense, that's that was my favorite scene, even though George was in, in it, who was the standout character. Uh, yeah, he was great in this movie. Um, I'd say that uh, the one part I actually really liked about this movie, I mean, about that ending scene in particular, was the fact that uh, when they sh when the guy says, you know, it usually you, it really plays with your uh, expectations because, as you said, it's not really a realistic scene. So when the two guys are driving, he's like, I'm going to give him a scare. I'm going to give him a scare. So you think he's going to admit, you know, he's not going to shoot him. And he shoots him yeah. and, and Billy dies. And then when Peter, yeah. and then when, and then when Wyatt turns around, he's like, I'm going to save you, Billy. I'm going to get you help. The guys turn around and they say, we have to go back. We have to go back. So I thought they had to go back because the guy, you know, messed up. You know, he done, you know, messed up and he has to go back and yeah. save this guy. And then he shoots uh, Wyatt. I thought that was really good filmmaking. You know, certain things like that, just like, flips your expectations on its head. Mm -hmm. The thing about him saying you're going to give them a scare, like, I mean, I thought when the gun was there, I thought he was going to, like, accidentally shoot him. To me, the way that looks, it looks, like, intentional. Like, the, the scare he was going to give him was actually a bullet oh, in, mm -hmm. his in his head or yeah. wherever he got shot. Like, it seems like that was his intent to me, but... No, it was for sure. It was obvious because he killed the other guy, too, though. That was the thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if maybe he thought he was in too deep at that point, but... I mean, the crazy thing about that is, like, if you think about it in the context of this movie, they'll never be caught for that. Yeah. Like, they will just not get, like... Number one, it's just a bunch of free will and no one cares about these guys as that was after it's been built up. And I think that's another thing that's sort of the symbolism 
of this movie. Uh, uh, maybe, again, I like you said, maybe we're, I mean, at least, I don't know if we grasp at straws, maybe or not. But I, I have to assume that was a that was a part of that. The fact that these guys were like downtrodden, they couldn't get a hotel room, right? No one really cared about them. And in the end, when they get killed, what's going to really happen to them, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, what, at least that's what I took away from it. I don't know uh, your thoughts on that, but uh, no, I definitely agree that that's a takeaway of the ending that they're kind of going to be forgotten. Uh, there's no legacy really left behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I was wrapping up our discussion about Easy Rider. Uh, final thoughts on the movie. You know, what did you overall think about the experience of watching this movie? Uh, I would say I liked it. I didn't love it. I, like I said, George, standout character. The Parts where he was in it was most interesting. It slows for me a little bit on, between his death scene and the end scene. Um, yeah, it kept me interested for the most part, but sometimes the driving montage was a little too repetitive and it kept going. But uh, I'll plug Marvel one last time and say that they do call uh, they do call Wyatt Captain America at one point in the movie. You're so, right. You're so right. Yes. <laughs> So if you're a Marvel fan, it's, it's a must-watch. Uh, it's part of the Marvels. I actually, this is actually a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Yeah, this is their first go at making the Cinematic Universe. <laughs> they, they were going for a gritty take on it. Uh, all right, so uh, as we wrap up with this discussion, thank you so much uh, for listening, uh, at least for our friend Matt here. But uh, always, the, always like to thank the listeners. Um, but for this series... A funny part, and I did not, I did not plan this at all, Matt. But I have a number one, I'll ask you a question. Does this movie have a have any sort of spinoffs or sequels to it? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm hopefully not. Yeah, it has a it has a direct to video prequel. A prequel. Yep, made in two thousand twelve. And it was so bad that it went to direct to prequel. Wait, who's in it? Who stars? Like in it? literally no one. Rick Fox. Oh, he used to be. He's a he's a basketball player. Literally the only person I've married is a basketball player. Rick Fox. What is a? Uh, do you know the plot? Like what? What is it about? The film focuses on the history of the White fam- White Williams family and takes an unusually conservative point of view compared to the countercultural tone of the original. Why did they make that in 2012? Because they're stupid. And it didn't even release. So the reason I brought that up, Matt, is because we've watched five classic movies, or depending on who you ask. Five. You know how many you know how many you know how many of them had a sequel or a prequel? How many? Four. All of them? Four out of five. What didn't? Saturday, Saturday Night Fever. Chinatown. Um. Doesn't Saturday Night Fever have a sequel? Mm-mm. I checked to make sure for the discussion. It does not. It may have. A, it does not have a sequel. Wait. It has a musical, but not a sequel. That's different. It has a musical, but not a sequel. What's the sequel to Chinatown? The Chu Jakes. And set Space Odyssey. I don't know what uh, the actual name of the movie is. Uh, oh, Space Odyssey 2010. 
2010, yeah. a space the year the year we made contact. Uh, so basically, every other movie has a sequel that we've done. I could have sworn that there was actually a Saturday Night Fever sequel. I'm swearing to you that there's not. Okay. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I'm like 99.8% sure that there's not a sequel. Hey, it's your, it's your show. I, I'm just a guest here. Yeah, keep it that way, okay? <laughs> All right. Yeah, next episode, I'm hosting everyone. Yeah. Now you sound like Christian. Oh, my God. The same kid who used to, you know that kid, that kid who used to be like... Yeah, yeah, I've, I've had an encounter with him before. <laughs> oh, shout out to Christian, I hope you're listening. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's that's our discussion about Easy Rider. Uh, so, uh, are you going to stick around, Matt, for a little Chris Benoit talk? You're not, you don't have to, you're not congratulately obligated. Uh, I mean, I know nothing, but I'll stick around for this. Wow, see, oh my, see, take notes, guests, take notes. I'm so glad. So yeah. So uh, before I get into this, I want to ask you. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, you, Matt. A question is, at least for me, it's, and I, I think a lot of the people the same. Which when you're not at school now, sort of you have more time on your hands. Is that accurate? Especially with being in lockdown and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. So uh, I got into. Uh, I was looking at my YouTube feed. I don't usually, I don't really watch a lot of you. I really don't. I really don't like, I try to not watch too much YouTube because it's a black hole, right? You start off at like watching like something for an assignment and you start going into like the conspiracy theories of like 14th century Rome or something. And it just goes off the rails. But uh, I was in my YouTube feed and I got a, uh, uh, a YouTube a request or recommendation or whatever they're called to watch uh this a documentary that's called The Dark Side of the Ring. So uh, this is a documentary about Chris Benoit, who was in the WWE. And it actually is popping off. The, there's two parts, and I highly suggest if you're listening, you watch it. And I, I highly suggest if you watch wrestling at all, if you ever have any experience with it, you watch it. And I didn't know the story of going in. Um, and I'm sure you haven't heard about Chris Benoit, Chris Benoit of course. I mean, no, definitely not. Um, so the first episode has so it's on YouTube. It's free to watch. It's like a five second commercial. So I really highly. It's actually just a really good documentary. Is this a series? Uh, it's a it's a like a, a, a anthology series. So each episode is like a different uh guy or something. Okay. So like these two episodes was was like Chris Benoit, and it's like an totally in total it's like an hour and twenty eight minutes, or an hour and twenty nine. It's around an hour and thirty. So it's around it's around an hour and thirty, um, and it tells a story about how Chris Benoit, who was a famous wrestler throughout the nineties and two thousands, um, over one weekend, killed his wa- his wife, his his son, and his and himself. Did you say killed? Killed, yeah. Um, and it's actually really good documentary. Uh, and so I just kind of break down the story for everybody. Uh, uh, so Chris Benoit is a wrestler, and uh, uh, you know he's one of like uh, Dave Meltzer, a guy who's really big in wrestling, massive guy. He thinks that he's one of the top five, top ten, top five wrestlers of all time. Uh, Chris Benoit, like main event of WrestleMania, this guy has a ton of accolades. 
and in WWE. He also wrestled for WCW. He's a heavyweight champion. He's a tag team champion. He was United States champion three times. He was an intercontinental champion three times, four times. He was a world tag team champion three times as well. He was a Royal Rumble winner. Uh, he also had a heavyweight championship in WCW. He was a two-time tag team champion in regular WCW. He was a heavy, uh, United States champion WCW twice. A television champion three times in WC. Like this guy is has everything in the book. He's one of the is one of the greats all time. And so he's won more awards than Easy Rider, essentially. Basically, yes, 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 yes. Not as much as John Cena, but he's up there. Uh, but uh, so he was really good friends with Eddie Guerrero. And uh, I don't want to. I mean, spoiler alert. So if you're gonna watch that match, please watch before you listen to this. But Eddie Guerrero died in 2005. That's not a spoiler. I mean, I hope you would know that. He died of heart failure. And so uh, one of the problems with this documentary and really one of the uh, things about this documentary and the, the sort of the sadness about Chris Benoit in general is if you're – if for example, for this documentary, anybody who's currently on the payroll for WWE is not in this documentary. So like if you work for WWE at the moment – no one in WWE was associated with this documentary. Um, and that's sort of the problem that this documentary gets to is the fact that WWE kind of just turns their back on people, spits on people, and doesn't really care uh, about people. Like, So they haven't mentioned Chris Benoit. Well, so WWE didn't let their wrestlers come onto the interview for this documentary? Is yes. that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, so they, but they still had some guys. Um, and so Chavo Guerrero... Eddie Guerrero's uncle, who was really good friends with Chris Benoit. So this is how the <clears throat> so Chris Benoit was a workaholic, and so was Eddie Guerrero. And there were two like sort of very, very uh very tight knit guys, right? They weren't very open going, and they could only really hand you know they together they would handle their emotions, but not with other people. And so Eddie Guerrero died at 38 with heart failure, and kind of the tragic part of the documentary is uh, they were in Minneapolis for like a pay per view or something, and they were all together and. Uh, and Chavo Guerrero gets a knock on his door, and the, the hotel security's like, "Your your Eddie didn't answer his phone today, uh, his first wake up call." And Chavo Guerrero goes to the room, and the door's open. Uh, they uh, the door's like latched on, so the trap out the door. They go in, and Eddie Guerrero's on the floor dying, like face down dying. He died. He died. And so Eddie Guerrero is Chavo Guerrero's uncle, but they're only five years apart, so they're like brothers. Eddie Guerrero died in his his friend's arms, like literally, like no BS, like his, like imagine your brother dying in your arms, like literally dying, like not like literally, like the guy died in his arms, like he was alive and then he died. I wasn't expecting um, this documentary to be this dark. That's what I call, yeah, and then Chris Benoit. Uh, sorry, that's what I signed up for. So yeah, and then Chris Benoit comes in and he's crying, bawling tears. And Chris Benoit like couldn't handle his emotion, so <clears throat> one of the guys that was on the documentary was Chris Jericho, and there's a lot of exposition. I'm, I kind of sound like Phantom Menace. Wait, isn't right? he a wrestler though? Yes, he is. Chris, yeah, he wrestles right now for AEW, so he's not for WWE anymore. That's the point. He doesn't work for WWE anymore. Oh, okay. He works for the competition, the AEW. Plug for AEW. You should watch. Uh, but he said that Chris Benoit, the day after the funeral, they had a tour to Europe. And so, like, Chris Jericho was friends with Eddie and, like, so other guys. But, like, you know, they could still wrestle. 
But Chris didn't take any time off. He went to go wrestle for WWE. Like the day after his best friend, I mean the day after his funeral, the best friend of his funeral. And he would go back to the home of his friend, Eddie Guerrero. And he would just like cry on the person's couch. Like he would go to his side of the bed and just lay there and cry. Like he would go into his home and just go to where he slept and just cry there. Just cry. His, his home or his friend's home? Like Eddie Guerrero's home. So Chris Benoit would go to Eddie Guerrero and just cry on his bed. And so Vicky Guerrero, who used to work for WWE, doesn't anymore. And that's a whole other sideshow because Ed, Vicky Guerrero worked for, was like a guest on AEW for like one time. And now WWE doesn't let any wrestlers on her show, like on her podcast. Like that's how spiteful they are. Um, and so she said like Chris wasn't taking a while. And so same Chris said the same thing. And so Chris started writing letters. He, like, couldn't get over Eddie, so they had him start writing letters to Eddie, uh, Chris. Like, his friends and his wife got him, like, a sketch pad to start writing letters to Eddie to help deal okay. with the pain. And the, the documentary does a tremendous job explaining all this. But, like, he still wasn't really, like, moving on, like, well. And this is, like, a year after, right? Two years after, like, so he's still not really moving on, like, you know, like, if someone dies, I mean, everyone's had people close to them lost. You know, you, you eventually begin to move on a little bit. You know, time holds all rooms. Like, Chris Benoit could not, literally could not move on. And he would, like, you know, there was a story, like, Chris, uh, Chavo said it, I believe, <clears throat> how he would, like, go into the arenas and start crying. Because he's, like, he's, like, all I could think about was that I was here with Eddie. Like, what I did with Eddie while I was here. And so people knew something was up. Something was wrong. And so... He was still, him and Chavo Guerrero were like transportation buddies or something. So he calls up Chavo and he says, you know, I can't come to the pay-per-view that was in Houston. I can't come to the pay-per-view. Um, my wife and my kid ha are sick. They, they're having food poisoning. Uh, they're, they're like, you know, they, they, they can't come. I don't want to watch over them. I'm going to be there tomorrow, though. I can't, so I can't come with you guys because they're all going to drive together, right? But he said, I can't, but I'm going to fly in. And so Travis like, okay, don't worry about it. I'm going to pick up the airport. Um, you know, you're fine. I'll, I'll pick you up, uh, you know, when when it's time. Travis Guerrero gets a text at 530 on Sunday morning. It's from Chris Benoit. He says, back door's open. My two dogs are latched onto the door. Everything's fine. And Travis like, why is he texting me this? 30 seconds later, the exact same text is sent from Nancy's phone. Nancy Benoit's phone, Chris Benoit's wife. So Travel's like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just, I'm gonna pick up the airport. He goes to sleep. He goes to Dean Malenko, who was also one of the travel buddies. Dean Malenko was a good friend of Chris Benoit. Travel's like, Yo, did you get a weird text from uh, uh, Chris? And D D Dean's like, Yeah, I did. At the same exact test. So then it's like two o'clock, and they don't know what the pay per view is going. Like they don't know, like you know, the pay per view. And this is not like Chris. Chris is like a dedicated wrestler. He's one of the most dedicated wrestlers. He doesn't miss. He doesn't miss anything. Like, like I said, like when Eddie Guerrero died, like he didn't miss a day, basically. Uh -huh. Um. And so now people are like, "What's going on?" So they call the they call the house. I mean, they call the local police. WWE does in the car. Like one of our wrestlers are down there. Uh, can you check for us? Because we don't know where he is. So. They do a welfare check at his house. And, you know, the, their neighbor comes in and something doesn't seem right. And the neighbor starts crying. So they find three dead bodies. So they go up. 
and they do a talk, they do a report on the murders, and this is how it went. Friday night, Chris broke her his wife's back and forcibly strangled her. Friday night. And placed a Bible next to her bed. Saturday morning, his son was still in the house. He gives his son Xanax, basically makes him unconscious, and then suffocates him. He puts a knife under his son's bed and a Bible next to him. So he killed his wife the night before, then went to bed, and then... With his son in the house. With his son in the house, and then killed his son. So his son went to bed with his mom, mom dead. Okay. So then, and this is, he has two sons. That's not good. Yeah, so then he looked up, and this is, his son's Daniel. The son David was with his first wife out of the home. Uh, He looks up two things. He looks up the book of Elijah, which is like the book in the Bible of like, uh, 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 like, uh, reincarnation. Like, you know, like a child will be born again. Mm-hmm. He literally looked up that like 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 a reincarnation story like about Elijah. He also looked up the, the the most painless ways to kill oneself. He goes down to his room and kills himself. This is Sunday, so he went to sleep. He went to sleep Friday night with his with his wife dead, and then went to sleep Saturday night with his mom his his son dead. And then he strangles himself. He did have a suicide note that said like soon I'm leaving this world, so people didn't know that he had, but he was the problem. At the time of the murders and his suicide, he had 10 times the, the natural limit of steroids in him, testosterone. And he also had CT. They found this out after the fact. Like, his brain was so damaged um, that the they believed that he had the same brain quality as an 85-year-old person that had Alzheimer's. And he's 40, yeah. he's 40 years old. Like, you know, this is, uh, yeah, he's 40 years old. So a 40-year-old who's in, like, peak physical shape has a brain of an 85-year-old man. And it, like, spawned all this stuff. WWE, like, complete, immediately, like, rescinded. When did this happen? 2007. Eddie Guerrero divided in 2005, and then he died in 2007. WWE completely, like, spat in their, like, they sent one guy to the funeral, Jim Ross. Like, he doesn't work for the company anymore. That's why he was allowed to get interviewed. Uh, so they were allowed to interview some people. Jim Ross also works for AEW now, too. Um, but David, Chris's son, said that only two guys contacted him. Out of everyone, out of every single person that Chris Benoit worked with, only two people contacted him. Think about that. Chris Benoit probably worked with hundreds of wrestlers. Only two guys called up his kid. Chavo Guerrero and Chris Jericho. And then... Uh, which I think is disgusting. That's to say the least. Um, you could see they called him like to see if he was okay. See if he was okay. Okay. Like literally, like just to see, like you good. No one else did. And then the, the way the documentary ends is that uh, Chris Jericho and Chavo Guerrero took it upon themselves to reunite David David Benoit. And Nancy Benoit's sister, Suzanne, uh, in order because they didn't see each other since the murder, and so uh, you know Chris, you know exchanged their numbers, 
called them up, and they eventually they were reunited. So the story ends happily. But no one even like cared about these people, which I think sort of disgusting. But yeah, uh, but I mean, that, I mean, that's really the story of this of the situation. But I mean, I thought it was a fabulous documentary. It was really one of the, it's bad to make a good. It's really bad to make a documentary bad. It's really hard to make a bad documentary. But this was a really really good one. At least I thought. Mm. So. I mean, I know I was ranting there a little bit about Chris Benoit, but uh, thanks, Matt, for listening. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I thought it was a really top-notch documentary, and it's not that long, so if you have the time, I definitely give it a look. It's really humanizing, and discuss- it sh- kind of adds a lot of information to an otherwise crazy uh, topic. Uh, so before we sign off here, Matt, thank you for staying. I really appreciate you. Have anything? Uh, last thoughts? What are you doing? What's upcoming for you in the future, etc.? Yep. Uh, join me. You can join me next week. I'll be hosting, as I said earlier. We're going to be doing a uh, breakdown of Far From Home, the greatest movie ever conceived. Now you sound uh, like me. Two, my hour, God. two hour episode about that. Oh. Uh, hopefully, we could have James back on the show. <laughs> That's about all I have to say. Thanks for listening. Yeah, you heard it here first. He's a true natural. Uh, so, thank you guys so much again. Uh, I love the feedback. And if you guys have any other feedback, please, you know, text me, email, you know, whatever you want to do. And also follow the Twitter account if you don't already at RMM underscore 901. Thank you guys so much for listening, wherever you may be listening.